The scripture reading uh, for today comes from Romans chapter 5. And if you want to grab a pew Bible, that can be found on page 942. It's Romans 5, starting at verse 1, on page 942 of the pew Bibles. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of, hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. But God showed his love for us, and that we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were, recon while we were, enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. <coughs> May God bless the reading of his word. Now I want to invite Pastor Jeff up. Um, he will continue our sermon series on the theme of persevering through trials. His sermon is titled, Hope When God Gives You More Than You Can Handle. Morning, Crossbridge. At the uh, insistence of my wise wife, I've brought up some water in case my, my voice goes out like last time. So even though last time I was preaching on persecution, it sounded like I was being persecuted. But I assure you, preaching is a joy and a privilege, not torture. Um, what do you say to someone when they're suffering? It's a hard position to be in. Clearly, I think many of us would want to give comfort to that person when we hear that they're enduring some sort of hardship and they're reaching out to us for some solace. We want to give hope and assurance. Sometimes, though, our desire to be helpful can end up being more heretical. With our back against the wall, looking for some sort of thing to say that will be comforting and helpful, I think some, many of us, some of us maybe, uh, might end up revealing that we're a lot more influenced by pop culture, conventional wisdom than we realized. Unfortunately, Christians sometimes can make the weirdest, strangest claims that sound biblical, but when you kind of start to peel back the layers and examine what it is that we're actually saying, it's, we realize it's actually not. And so what am I talking about? One of these untruths is this aphorism, this phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. 
Maybe some of you have heard that before. What do we mean by that when we say, God won't give you more than you can handle, and we say that to someone, you know, a friend or a family member who is enduring hardship or suffering or trials and tribulations? And I think it's this idea that we're saying that, don't worry, you will get through this because God wouldn't have given you something that you wouldn't be able to bear. And then we might, in our minds or allowed point to scripture and say, well, look, you know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you know, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when we even begin to look at that scripture, then we see that Paul wasn't talking about suffering necessarily. He was talking about sinning, very different sort of thing. And so here's kind of the problem that I see with this untruth that God won't give you more than you can handle. First, it, it trivializes your suffering, what happens if, you know, the, you feel that you're suffering in that moment as you are encountering whatever tragedy, whatever crisis that has struck, is more than you can handle in that moment? You feel overwhelmed. I think when we say God won't give you more than you can handle, it presumes a level of fairness, right? That the trials you undergo will be appropriate to you. That Maybe you got cancer because you can handle it, but that person got a cold because that's all they could handle. But as Christians, we know that's not how the world works. That's not how this broken world that is pervaded by sin, impacted by sin, that's not how it works. A second, I think when we say, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle, it puts the burden on the suffering individual. Right? It presumes that the individual has what it takes. And the, what the individual must, ha- must do now is to look within. Right? God won't give you more than you can handle, meaning that you can handle this. You have what it takes. Just look inside, dig deep down, and push through. And when we end up saying that, we end up pointing people to themselves and not to Christ, not to Jesus. And third... When, when, when Christians sometimes think or, or say, God won't give you more than you can handle, we're, we're looking to rationalize our suffering. And I think that's a very human thing to do, and that's okay. Like, we, we want to make sense of it all. We want to look for a reason for this suffering, and that's okay. But sometimes, maybe, maybe the reason why we do that is because we, we fear, we believe in this fallacy that You know, if I can't see a good reason for suffering, then there can't be a good reason at all. Scripture has a different take on suffering. First, I don't think it trivializes the hardships and challenges that that we go through living in this world. I think God's word acknowledges the reality and the severity of it. It doesn't Turn a blind eye to it. Now, sometimes there is a clear reason. Even from Scripture, we remember the story of Joseph. Some of you guys remember from the Old Testament. Joseph was sold as a, uh, to be a slave by his brothers to Egypt. Years later, he ended up rising to power to save all the people during the famine. And at the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph says to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. 
Now, sometimes, even in Scripture, there isn't a clear reason. Or at least we find in, in the book of Luke that maybe in certain cases, it, the suffering is actually not because of a person's sin. And that's important to remember. Jesus says in Luke 13, All of those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders, worse sinners, than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? He's implying, no, they weren't. Christianity may not always give us the reason for each individual's experience of pain, but it does give us the resources for facing suffering with hope and not bitterness, courage and not despair. I believe that Christianity, our faith in God and the gospel, gives us what we need, not always what we want, but what it does give us is better than anything that this world has to offer when it comes to facing the hardships in life and the suffering in this world. And I think this is precisely what what our passage in Romans 5 this morning is tackling, that there is hope when when God gives you more than you can handle, that there's hope even in the midst of suffering. So Paul's writing in Romans, and uh, our passage begins with, with kind of these three consequences or results of being justified by faith. Verses 1 to 2, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So can you kind of pull out three things that, that Paul is writing that we receive? Peace, grace, and hope. But it's this last thing that our passage focuses on, on, and I want us to kind of pay attention to this morning. Hope. And he says, rejoice in the hope. Three times this word rejoice, right, is mentioned in our passage. Verse 2, verse 3, verse 11. You can kind of follow along uh, in your pew Bibles or in your, your Bible apps, right? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in our sufferings. And ultimately, we rejoice in God. So going to the first thing, right? We rejoice in hope. And what he means by that is that we rejoice in the hope of future glory. So Paul, in his mind, he is thinking long. He is envisioning the day when Christ returns and we are with God in his kingdom of heaven. And in Revelation, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, men and women. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Look here, this is how he describes this place. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Paul says to rejoice in that future glory. And yet there's this weird contrast that is being set forth in our passage in Romans. He says not only that, not only are we going to rejoice in in this picture, in this certainty of this hope in future glory where there is no more death, no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears, but we also rejoice today in our present sufferings. 
Right? Christians aren't supposed to be people who are so future-oriented that we neglect and we forget and we ignore the present. We rejoice, or more accurately, the word is we boast. We boast in the certainty, the hope of a future glory, but that doesn't take away from what we're presently facing. But it does raise a question, though, right? How can we, those of us who claim or who identify as Christians, who have given our lives to Christ, how how do we rejoice in this future glory and then also rejoice in our present suffering? It's strange, right? We're supposed to look forward to the day when God comes to make all things new, when tears are no more, when there is actually no more suffering. And we might expect then, it would be then to look at our present suffering as an inconvenient step to some glorious future. So maybe we don't tell someone, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle. But then we, we tell them, you know, just, just deal with it. For, forget about this life, whatever you're going through. Look to the next But no, Paul says to rejoice both in the hope of future glory and to rejoice even in our present sufferings. And that is radical, I think. And Paul lays out the reasons for rejoicing in our sufferings when he says, because we know that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And I think it's, it's interesting that he says that the reason for rejoicing in our sufferings is because we know something. Those of us who follow Jesus, we know something that others don't know. Because what he is saying that is that we as Christians, ought to, what we ought to know, it can be very different from what we're experiencing, what we're feeling as we're suffering, whether it be you know, pain or hardship or some sort of tragedy. But I think this knowing mitigates against emotional reasoning. Emotional reasoning, reasoning is it's this cognitive distortion that says that our feelings determine our reality. So what, what might that look like, right? If we are kind of giving ourselves to this sort of emotional reasoning, if we feel lonely, then it must mean that no one cares about me. If we feel afraid, it must mean that we're in a dangerous situation. I could be afraid right now being up here, but I don't think I'm in danger. If we feel defeated in our suffering, then it must mean God is punishing me or doesn't love me. Now, the problem here is it's not our feelings. It's our thoughts. Some some people say that feelings don't lie, but our thoughts do. So what Paul writes when it comes to what we are experiencing, when it comes to our suffering, this is what, what we ought to know even as we feel a certain way. And this is how we ought to think. And Paul does two things in the next few verses. First, he explains why we can rejoice in our suffering. That is, how, you know, how does suffering produce hope? How does one lead to the other? 
The second thing he, he does is, okay, having talked about how suffering leads to hope, he talks about the grounds for that hope, why that hope is certain. So let's begin at verse 3 to 5. Here's the first point, that we, we grow through what we go through. Paul says that we can rejoice in future hope and in present sufferings, and he lays out this three-stage process for how one leads to the other. So first, right, suffering produces endurance. When we encounter the storms of life, we learn to endure. We learn to persevere, to not be shaken. Now, I remember the day after the Boston Marathon bombing. I was listening to sports radio, and clearly everyone was talking about what had happened the day before. And during one of the breaks, they were playing, you know, this is background interlude music, the song. And the song was, We Won't Be Shaken by Building 429. And I was like, you know, sometimes when you listen to music, like, this sounds like a Christian song. Because I guess they use like the four, all the same chords or the same melodies or whatever. So I looked it up, right? And they only played the hook, so there was clearly no mention of Jesus. But the hook went something like this. Whatever will come our way... Through fire or pouring rain, we won't be shaken. No, we won't be shaken. Whatever tomorrow brings, together we'll rise and sing that we won't be shaken. No, we won't be shaken. So it's this idea of endurance in, even in the midst of adversity. That is an idea that is not uncommon to humankind. I'll give you another example. Even when the Celtics earlier this season, for those of us who follow basketball, they were below 500, meaning they had a losing record. Just not doing well at all. And their coach, Ime Adoka, called them out publicly saying, it's a lack of mental toughness to fight through these adverse times. Right? That they were suffering and they couldn't endure. Now, obviously, I think they got over that hump. And we'll see what happens tonight. Suffering produces endurance, particularly when those sufferings come continually. It builds us up to withstand even greater storms. Now, right before my, my freshman year, I'll just give you another picture, right? Our, our college had to do this hiking trip to the Adirondacks. And it was to get us out of our comfort zone, out of our quiet, comfortable suburban life in Lexington or Burlington, Arlington, whatever town that we live in. We didn't know this at the time, but all the suffering, uh, if you can call it that, suffering, hardship, whatever, that we faced was to build up endurance for what came at the end of the two-week trip. So what did that suffering look like? Not showering for 14 days, not changing any clothes or underwear for 14 days, Really disgusting, I know. Getting eaten alive by mosquitoes, digging a hole to go to the bathroom, using leaves because we had no toilet paper, hiking miles every day with 50-pound backpacks, eating a bare minimum amount of calories that consisted of things like apple slices and crackers. All this suffering, if you will, led to this 60-hour solo fast in the middle of the Adirondacks where we were alone by ourselves sleeping with slugs underneath a tent that we had, our, had to set up and fasting for 60 hours. And then, after breaking fast, a nine-mile run back to base camp. 
Now, honestly, for even for me, as I went through it, after enduring all the things that led up to that, suffering, the 60-hour fast and the nine-mile run was nothing. I mean, it was still hard, but it was, I could withstand it. I could endure. And that led us to prepare for college dorm life, living on our own. Suffering produces endurance. Paul continues, right? Endurance produces character. Right? After enduring hardship after hardship, not only do we learn to endure, we begin to change. Character, a strength of character is developed. So there's a story, right? A young woman goes to her mother about how hard life is for her. How just things aren't turning out the way they are for her. She didn't know how she was going to make it. She just wanted to give up. And her mother took her to the kitchen, and she filled three pots with water. In the first, she placed a carrot. In the second, she placed an egg. And in the third, she placed some coffee beans, some ground coffee beans. She let them sit and boil without saying a word. And after 20 minutes, she turns off the stove and asks her daughter, what do you see? Carrots, egg, and coffee. She brought her closer and asked her to feel these things. She asked her to feel the carrots. The daughter did and noted that they were soft. She then asked her to take the egg and break it. And after pulling off the shell, shell, she observed the hard-boiled egg. And finally, she asked her to sip the coffee. The daughter smiled as she tasted its rich aroma. What's the point, she asked. Mother replied, each of these objects faced the same adversity, the same suffering, boiling water. But each reacted differently. The carrot carrot went in strong and hard and unrelenting, but came out soft and weak. The egg came in fragile, a thin outer shell protecting the liquid interior, but it came out with a hardened inside. Coffee beans were different. They changed the water. The coffee beans even endured being crushed, grounded. And when that water came, the fragrance and flavor came out. Endurance produces character. We ask, what kind of character? I think this is the part of the message where if, you know, if we were to stop here, just be this moralistic pep talk about how to be better, how to do better, how to improve yourself, how to look at, look at yourself within, right? Because you can handle this. But this is not Scripture's take on suffering. That there is hope and God gives you more than you can handle. And that hope is not within ourselves, but in God. So this is where it leads to character produces hope. We grow through what we go through. And how do we grow through is this strengthening of character that continues to hope in God. How does character produce hope? How does one lead to the other? It might feel like a non sequitur, right? That our own transformation by the Spirit As we continue to grow in holiness, as we mature as disciples of Jesus, as we continue to grow through what we go through, it is evidence that we are being changed by God. 
And we look at that. We look at the trajectory of our life. We look at who we were before we knew Jesus. And even our journey as we walk and know Jesus. And we are assured that God who began a good work in each one of us will bring it to completion. And so therefore that hope in that future glory when Christ returns is not an illusion. That picture set for us in Revelation 21 of heaven, of people living by righteousness, of no pain, no suffering, no death, is not an illusion. And Paul writes about the certainty of this hope. Verse 5, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You know, this hope that we have is strengthened when we apprehend God's love for us through the gift of the Holy Spirit that began at conversion and continues on. You know, oftentimes when we face suffering, hardship, challenges, that's all we're thinking about. It consumes us. And consuming us, it, it makes us doubt a lot of things. It makes us doubt his love, God's love for us. Paul is writing to encourage us to remember. Remember uh, Dr. Arthur, Pastor Jeff's sermon last week about remembering the different things. Here, Paul is encouraging us to remember God's love poured out into our hearts. Remember when you first gave your life to Christ. Remember the times when you experienced God's love for you. All of this then is building in us a hope for when we are given more than we can handle. This is why we can rejoice as Christians in suffering. Because suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. Not in ourselves, but in God. Hope that is certain, secure, because we've already experienced God's love in our lives personally. But it's also because God's love is not just something that we have personally experienced, but it's something that has been objectively demonstrated. And so this is the second point that Paul gives. Not only that we grow through what we go through that leads to hope, but then that hope is certain because we are grounding our hope in Christ. Why can we rejoice in our sufferings? Because our sufferings help us to have more hope in our future glory. How do we know this hope is certain? Because we have experienced God's love personally, and now we have seen God's love for us demonstrated historically in the work of Christ on the cross. That is to say that Jesus sacrificed himself for sinners. There's this uh, contrast given for us in verse 7 between God's love and human love. For one will uh, scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would, would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, this is the, the crazy thing about God's love, right, when you think about it. Can you imagine, would you die for the worst of the worst in our world? I don't think so. Christ died for sinners, he, he died for criminals. He died for murderers. He died for the greedy, for the oppressors. That makes us uncomfortable. But 
let's be clear, it's not because they or any one of us deserve it. Christ died for us before we made any move towards him. That's what he's getting at when he writes, while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Like, think of the arguments that you might have with a friend or a family member or, or a spouse. It gets to a point where it's like, well, who's going to make the first move now for, for reconciliation, for connection? Sometimes in our sinful nature, we're like, I'm not going to make the first move. I already tried. They don't deserve it. It's their turn to do something. I'm going to wait. I'm going to stonewall and wait. But God is different because of his love. He shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, while we were still stonewalling, he died for us. We look at the cross, at Jesus. The truth is we may not know the reason, the specific reason for whatever suffering we're going through at the time. But as we look at the gospel, we know what the reason can't be. This is what Keller, Tim Keller writes. You know, it can't be because God doesn't love us. It can't be because God is this indifferent, impersonal God who just created the world and left it to run its course. God is so concerned with our suffering. God loves us so much that he came in the person of Jesus to suffer for you and me. So when we're facing trials and challenges and hardships and suffering, we can have hope in suffering because Jesus is truly Emmanuel, God with us, even in the worst of it all, especially in the worst of it all. We rejoice in the hope of future glory. We rejoice in our present sufferings. And ultimately, we rejoice in God. That's how our passage ends. He says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That he is our hope. He is the one who shows us love through the cross. And I would hope and pray that you guys know that this morning. You guys experience God's love for each and every one of you. He is the one that, who began a good work in us. We have faith, certainty, hope that he will bring it to completion when Christ returns. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give thanks to you for your love for us, for that love that we ourselves have personally experienced. We pray that we would remember all the ways in which we have felt, seen your love, that we would also reflect on the love that is ultimately beautifully demonstrated in the cross for your people, for your creation. Give thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.